0: Good afternoon, patriots. Welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the crushing complexity of our government and end with reason for optimism. Next, on Living with Liberty. I have a saying I use at times when my teams are trying to solve a problem at work. Keep it simple and sustainable. Yeah, it's a play on the uh, KISS acronym, keep it simple, stupid. Um, but I decided to change the last part of uh, from uh, stupid to sustainable. What do I mean by that? Any solution must meet two criteria under this model. It must only include necessary complexity to achieve the desired outcome. That's the simple piece. And it must address the root cause of the problem so that we do not have to go back and put another band-aid on it to fix again or to dig in and kind of re-engineer the solution. That's the sustainable piece. We humans tend to overcomplicate things. For a set of beings that seem to always want to take the path of least resistance, we sure do put up a lot of barriers in our path in the form of complex solutions. Many times, those complexities only serve as breaking points where new problems form. And I think a lot of um, the complex solutions to problems, let's call it, stem from... Maybe it's some of uh, our desire to show how smart we are. I, I don't know. It's It seems, uh, though, a lot of times we have a problem and we overcomplicate the solution. If we look at our uh, tax code, the U.S. tax code is over 70,000 pages. Why would we need 70,000 pages to figure out what each citizen and corporate entity in this country owes in terms of their share of funding our government. Now, to be uh, totally transparent and fair, you will find, if you go out there, um, data that says, well, the tax code is only 2,600 pages in reality, or it's only 9,000 pages. If you had any tax lawyer that uh, is only looking at the 2,600 or the 9,000 pages, you um, you're going to be in some trouble with the government. The actual tax code and all applicable laws and precedents is contained in over seventy thousand pages of our tax code. I'll put a link in the description box if you're interested in that. But we we've overcomplicated our our, our way of figuring out taxes. You know, we we have so many unnecessary deductions and loopholes and everything else that special interests want in there. It, it, it's crazy to think that we need 70,000 pages to figure out how to fund our government. The other thing is, why do we need such a complex federal government to begin with? The answer in both these cases, why do we need 70,000 pages to figure out what our, our uh, tax receipts need to be to fund the government, and why do we need a super complex federal government. The, the answer to that is we don't actually need that. We need that. Uh, we have, you know, the federal government is set up as such now that we have many agencies that overlap with what the states do uh, or, or have as, as uh, agencies in, in administrating, uh, you know, the government within each state. Uh, we have, duplication of efforts in in that respect we don't need 70,000 pages to figure out what everyone's tax burden is we could just as easily and more fairly I think and probably with a better revenue generation we could easily get by with just a flat tax for everybody one rate get, get rid of this progressive tax, uh, the pro- uh, progressive tax tables get rid of the loopholes, get rid of the corporate tax. You, you just have a flat tax, and that's it. Our tax laws should be able to fit on one, maybe two postcards, both sides. The federal government does not need to be as large as it is either. The Tenth Amendment left much up to the states as the Constitution uh, itself is restrictive of federal overreach that that's what the founders uh, had the foresight to to write it in such a way that many rights and um, you know many of the uh, administration of government was left to the states and, and given to them as as a right. Now, this may be a bit of an extreme view, but as I look at things as i read read the Constitution, Uh, you know, I think all of these federal agencies that have been created over the years should have been done so through a constitutional amendment. Again, that's as I read it. Maybe I'm taking it a a bit too literally as I read things. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I look at it and I say we should have amendments for all these new new agencies that we've created within our, our federal government. You know, we look at it. We needed a a constitutional amendment to institute a national income tax and to institute the federal income tax. That took an amendment to the Constitution. It wasn't implicitly writ written in the Constitution uh, that the uh, workers would have their income taxed by the federal government. To me, the same logic should apply here to any agency, the federal. Government wants to add. The federal government was meant to be simple. It was meant to not be super complex. It had a few basic functions that are laid out in the Constitution. It's to provide for national defense, to regulate trade on behalf of the member states of the Union with foreign countries, with foreign entities. Its function is also to moderate disputes between the states themselves in the, in the interstate commerce. The federal government was set up to coin currency. It's explicitly written in the Constitution that it is to establish post offices. Nowhere in the Constitution, and I ask you if I'm wrong, please correct me, but this is as I read it and my understanding, nowhere in there, does it say the federal government is to set up a bureaucracy for education, a Department of Education, or the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, or Housing and Urban Development, or insert whatever useless government bureaucracy here. A number of federal agencies are duplicates of state-level agencies where the power for what those agencies are doing should lie at the state level, closer to the people that are impacted By those things, by things like educational decisions and the urban development decisions and the protection of that state's environment, that all should lie at the state level. We shouldn't have duplication of that effort at the federal level. Now, you may be saying to yourself right now, Ryan, the founders couldn't have predicted that we would need all those agencies when they wrote the Constitution there wasn't you know they didn't have the foresight to say oh well yeah we're you know down the line we're going to need um some sort of environmental protection agency so let's write that in the constitution that the government has the authority to create that agency as i look at it i'm i would think and based on some some reading and reading the constitution and listening to other other podcasts and you know historical perspectives, I'd say they it's quite possibly they, they did give some thought to these sorts of things. I mean they they laid the Constitution is is laid out brilliantly. Uh, it's laid out the way it is for a reason to restrict the cover, uh, federal government and give the power to the states. I think they did think about this. It's, it's possible they thought about it. I, I kind of perused some of the federalist papers and, and the anti-federalist papers. I didn't find anything um, explicitly. Admittedly, I didn't look that deep either. I was looking at some Cliff's notes, if you will. But I didn't see anything explicitly saying that those were even topics, topics of conversation. Um, could have been a thought. Uh, you know, I, I think they explicitly chose not to grant the federal government to it, written, you know, out in the constitution didn't explicitly write in the constitution that the federal government had the power to create these agencies and extra agencies it, and i look at it like this I, I i think about this and it's our in issues we face today they they aren't they aren't that different from what the founding fathers faced we want to make it seem like our issues today are so vastly different than what the founding fathers faced back in 1776 when they were writing the Declaration of Independence and, you know, post-Revolutionary War when they were going through the, the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution and all that. The issues we have today aren't that different than what they face. But Yet because it's today and not you know the, the 1700s, we want to make it seem like our issues are are so much uh, more complex and, and require so much of um, there are so many uh, more uh, different of uh, solution to them. You know, you think back then, from an education standpoint, education was an issue back in that time. It's still an issue today. Society has to be educated. We need to be educated. And, and that's been an, a societal issue since the beginning of time. The more ed- educated a population is, the uh, more it'll grow, the, the better decisions are made. The, the more educated the population is, the less chance it is of the government from uh, seizing totalitarian control of society. You look at a department like Health and Human Services, uh, you know, there's been illnesses and health issues and personal needs for as long as there's been a civilized society. Were those issues any different back in the day? I, I don't think so, other than there was probably a better family unit structure than there is today. There's, They still had their, their uh, you know, societal needs. And health needs. Now, you know, I'm looking at this, like I mentioned before, I may be on the extreme side here in my interpretation of, of the Constitution of Article 1, Section 8, uh, where it lays out what the federal government is, call it, responsible for, what they uh, are are being allowed to create under the Constitution as far as government bureaucracy as I look at it. Um but like I said, it, it's to me it's it's very clear there in in my eyes anyway. again, so send me an email Ryan at um, Ryan at living with com. if you have a different perspective, uh, I'd be interested in hearing it. but to me as I read that, like I said I'm uh, maybe extreme in my interpretation and very, very literal, but that to me clearly lays out what the federal government, was to have jurisdiction over what the federal government was able to create under the uh, authority of the Constitution. The rest was left up to the states via the Tenth Amendment. It was left up to the people of those states to decide what they wanted or didn't want within their states with regards to all these other bureaucracies that we have today. Now, you look at the 10th Amendment and how, it, uh, how it's written and what it says, it, it, it goes like this. It's, uh, the 10th Amendment states that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. To me, that means the states are the ones who should be setting up all the ancillary bureaucracies Should the residents want it? Not the federal government. I think some we would maybe agree with. Uh, You know, your education. uh, You know, nowadays, the transportation department. But there again, that was one of those. That was, transportation's been a deal since, you know, the wheel was invented, right? So, I mean, that's not a a, a new problem either. But these things should be left up to the states. Now, maybe... You know, from a federal standpoint, connecting all the states together, you can make a case for a transportation department there that oversees the highway system, fine. But, you know, that, again, to me, should you know, should come in the, in the form of some sort of constitutional amendment. Yes, we need this. All the states agree we need this oversight at the federal level. Okay, we're going to have an amendment that creates the Department of Transportation or the Department of whatever. You know what we have, though, here, uh, in is the result, and this is a result of the federal government overstepping its bounds in this manner by creating creating duplicate um, bureaucracies at a federal level uh, from what is at a state level. Is we have ever increasing complexity within our government, within our federal government, Uh, and within even trying to maintain what do Uh, states, what are they responsible for? What do they have in in terms of enforcing laws? Complexity, this complexity also makes it harder to control things. The more variables you introduce into a problem, the more variables you introduce into uh, anything really, or the more solutions that you stack on top of prior solutions because you didn't actually fix the problem the first time around, equals the more opportunity for control to be lost. You have more points of contact that need to be maintained. Think about your car and how many uh, how many uh, things need to be maintained on a car. How complex is a car as far as a machine goes? There's all sorts of things that can go wrong with a car. You line that up with a horse and buggy, <laughs> You didn't have much much complexity there with the horse and buggy. You generally had very few things to maintain. You knew what was wrong with it and could fix it right away. Today's cars, you you know who knows? There's like I said, there's a ton of things that can go wrong. There's a ton of things to maintain properly on it in order to uh, to make it go. That's that that's the cost of added complexity. You have more stuff to to look over and maintain. Same point, same uh, kind of principle with our government here. The more we've added to it is the more we have to maintain with it. The more we have to be uh, vigilant with what's going on. And it seems like every time there's a little problem, instead of fixing the problem itself, instead of looking at the root cause and actually figuring out what went wrong and seeing if it's uh, just something that's an exception to the rule and There's something we can put in place. They just add another agency. We have another problem. Let's just add another government agency. That'll fix it, right? Add complexity. You know, up until 9-11, we uh, had, in in terms of of the law enforcement arm of the the, uh, federal government, we had the FBI, which started in 1908, the CIA, which started in 1947, Uh, The Secret Service, which was started in 1865, and then you had the NSA, which had started in 1952. Now, if you notice a trend here, we had the Secret Service up until 1908, so we had a span of 40 years there, uh, 43 years there to be uh, exact. And then uh, we got into, we were okay for a little while, and then after World War II, we started the CIA, and then five years later, I guess we decide we need the NSA as well. Um, And then we had 9-11 hit. And instead of utilizing one of those other agencies we already had set up and basically creating a division there, we started a whole new department and a whole new agency in the Department of Homeland Security. Now, why? Why? We had the Secret Service to begin with here. Why do we need to add the FBI, CIA? Well, I'll get to the CIA in a minute. But the FBI, NSA, and now DHS. Why couldn't these functions, these departments, been housed under the Secret Service, much like you have different divisions of a, of a company, of a large multinational company? You have that central control, but you have many other different divisions. So you have that central point of oversight of the whole operation, but they all can operate independently and, and work in whatever function they're meant to work in. It somewhat limits the complexity of it. You know, I see the CIA, that I can understand as a standalone entity. It, 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 kind of, it operates outside of our borders, it does its own you know own thing overseas i get that you can make a case there of okay that that may have to you know that's probably okay to have his own is as, it, as its own entity uh that i understand but the other three agencies could easily be under one banner under one central uh one central agency let's call it with just branches of it with different divisions that way you don't have the 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 multiple divisions, you don't have the extra complexity. You don't have to try and figure out what how do you provide oversight for each of these divisions. It's all housed under one. So in in theory, everything's rolling up to to one uh, centralized uh, entity that's providing oversight for all of them. Uh, having them separate, like I said, is complete c- completely uh, created. Uh, uh, just unnecessary complexity uh, within our our law enforcement arm of the government with that complexity we've seen many breakdowns in it and we've seen it in the form of things like corruption within the FBI i mean the FBI has a history of corruption it, with more complexity comes more need to maintain and what that means within our government is is more oversight we need to figure out how do we oversee an ever growing Uh, ever-growing roster of government agencies? How how do we keep tabs on them and what they're doing is in line with what they're expected to be doing and what the the people want them to be doing? Anytime we see a new agency added to the federal government, you have to put in place all new structures. There's new rules that need to be put in place. There's new people that need to be hired. And, of course, new oversight mechanisms, which seems to be the last thought on anybody's mind these days. What we're seeing is, is those oversight mechanisms are failing. Yes, corruption and bad actors plays a part in all of this. But so does all the moving parts and layers of bureaucracy that have been added over the years, in response to what should really have been exceptions to the rule. Keep it simple and sustainable. Our government is neither. It has become an all-consuming beast that has many points of breakdown that are really failing spectacularly at this point due to all this unnecessary complexity. It's like trying to fit 10 pounds of wheat into a 5-pound sack think about when you do that what happens to that sack when you try to overstuff it like that the sack eventually will start to split and some of the wheat will start come uh, start to trickle out if we are honest with ourselves that is what hap- is happening now to our country we are splitting at the seams our elected officials are out of answers they just the lack of foresight on uh, unintended consequences of previous policy decisions, and then realizing the errors of those policy, policy decisions, stacking supposed fixes on top of those, has led to this point of complexity that is crushing our republic. It's led to a race by one party to try and seize total control of our government, i you know I, you listen to him it's in an attempt to to save democracy, but it's at this point it's it, it, you know it's a, uh, just the wanting of of total uninhibited power of the United States government, maybe some uh, arrogance there that they would be able to control the Uh, federal beast that our federal government has become. But as I look at it at this point, there is no amount of controlling it. There's nothing that can be done at this point by any one uh, party, any one entity to try and control what we already have out there. And the thing is, they keep adding to it and we keep spending money, we keep adding bureaucracies, we keep uh, you know doing whatever and and increasing federal government power. There's too many moving parts at this point. There's too many bad policy decisions that have been made that no one has the ability to to try and rein it in at this point. And, and what's worse probably is there's no one with the backbone out there right now to call out these bad policy decisions and start reversing some of them, start cutting the spending, start pulling back on all the government agencies. That's Democrat and Republican, both. Both of them have wanted to expand the federal government. They just go about it in different ways. We are to the point now where our wheat sack is... Uh, You know, full, overflowing, overstuffed. The seams are ripping. There's little grains of wheat that are trickling out at this point. And the only thing holding it back, we have those last few threads that haven't burst yet and gave way that will just, you know, basically explode the sack and have the wheat all come rushing out. We're down to our last few threads, though. You can see it in our day to day. You can see it on what's going on with uh, the current political environment. We're at that point. We're at the 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 busting point here. But I, I think there is some hope. There is good news uh, on the horizon, and I'd say say for most of us anyway. Uh, we have a fallback within the states. We still have our state governments that are separate entities. We have many states that are stepping up and saying, yeah, we're going to be a Second Amendment sanctuary. Yeah, we're going to nullify any federal overreaching order. Uh, that's a great start. Uh, another thing that's been, uh, that's been, I think, um, positive and, and very encouraging is the Convention of the States movement. It, it's going strong. It's still going strong. At present, I I checked the website last night. Uh, Right now, there are 38 states in various stages of resolution approval to call a convention of the states. 15 have resolutions already passed, 23 have resolutions in various stages of debate or vote uh, on house floors. Now, our best shot right now is uh, the convention of the states. This is going to be our best shot at preventing those last threads of the wheat sack from giving way and having the wheat, you know, flush out all down the drain or whatever. We get a convention of the states together, and we can put an end to this federal overreach. We can stop the madness and start to lighten the strain on our republic and and hopefully start to repair it. We have to be able to... You know, if we can get that together, you know, the next move is, is how do we shrink the federal government then? I think first we've got to, to stop the bleeding and then after that, you know, do the surgery and the repair on it. We got to be honest with ourselves, though, too, even with this convention of the states, even with uh, getting the federal government rein back in, it'll take years and even possibly a generation or two to undo what has been done to reduce the complexity of the federal government. At this point, we haven't had a total collapse yet of the government. So what has been done can be undone while still keeping a semi-functional government. So we have opportunity here to not have total chaos, but we can we can still keep some things functioning while we work on it. You know, but, but the thing is, who knows how much time we still have, though. With Democrats moving at breakneck speed to ram their agenda through for total control of the government, you know, that now is the time to act. So we've got to call and write our legislators. Let them know you support a convention of the states. Go to conventionofthestates.com. That will have all the details you need to know as far as where your state stands. and. What to write to your legislators to ask them to move forward with convention of the states or to get some sort of resolution going? Like I said, there's 38 states with resolutions in various uh, various forms of of approval. We have got 12 other states to go. At 38, that's more than enough to call a convention of the states if we get them all to pass their resolutions. So we're we're there. We just got to get those resolutions passed. But we want. All fifty states. Uh, this this has uh, this federal overreach has a a huge impact on the states' rights of all fifty states, whether they're red or blue. So, uh, get in contact with your legislators. Let them know. Get get on that. They need to get on board with with calling the convention of the states. Now, let's finish up on on a positive note. Um, uh, I'll say this first. Uh. It's really unfortunate our kids have to be constantly bombarded with political garbage. They should be able to live without worrying why our cities are burning or why there is a circus sideshow marching up and down the street for mermaid king-queen rights. They should be able to be kids. They should be able to be Carefree and enjoy the experience and naivety of being a kid. A a kid's only worry should be where or when uh, they're going to be able to hang out with their friends or when are they going to be able to go play, go do what they want to do, go do kid stuff, go explore their world, go um, make up a new game, go uh, pretend the the backyard swing set's a rocket ship and they're going to some faraway planet. That, that's the only thing kids should be worried about. They shouldn't be worried about all this nonsense going on in our, uh, our world today. They shouldn't be exposed to explicitly sexual material in, in class at increasingly young ages. They shouldn't be indoctrinated by overzealous teachers who are pushing an ideology. Kids should not have to worry about that. Those are things that you have a whole adult lifetime to be exposed to, and even that's unfortunate in some of it, but it's a fact. You you have a whole adult lifetime to be exposed to that crap. Let the kids be kids. Now, my wife and I try to shield our younger kids, and we've tried to shield all our kids, I think, to a certain degree from the dumpster fire that is our society today. Um, we certainly are with our younger kids now they're, you know, where we keep pretty good tabs on what they're looking at, um, online and what shows they can watch, uh, uh, things like that. So we, we try and not to let them get bar bombarded, try and let them be kids, try and let them keep that innocence. Now our 15 year old, he's, he has a phone. Uh, he did a current events class with his, his, uh, homeschool class. It, it was last year, maybe the year before. And, And, you know, looking at all that, I'm sure he gets or peruses the news updates, but he has shown an interest in understanding politics more. He's shown an interest in what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, I think with that interest, it's important that we foster that and start pushing, um, pushing may not be the right word, but um, exposing him and, and helping him understand the, the conservative viewpoint, the America first viewpoint. So I took him to our conservative club meeting on Tuesday. And I think it really helped his understanding and opened his eyes a bit more on to what's going on just within our community. Cause we're, you know, it's a local club. So we're, yeah, we look at national and, uh, and uh, state, you know, politics type stuff. But, you know, we have also a really big focus on our local cause that's where it starts. Um, so we know we're, you know, we're working our community. Um, I, I think it really opened his eyes. He, he seemed genuinely interested in it. Uh, you know, within our conservative, uh, club meetings, we have a little educational segment at our meeting on, uh, just, you know, different things. Um, you know, whether it be Robert's rules of order or the constitution, you know, we have, uh, classes that, um, you know, one of our members wants to to do classes like that and does classes like that. So that's uh, um, you know a good component of it as well. I think it's once we are able to uh, get those classes together, I'll see if he wants to do those classes. Uh, I'm certainly interested in doing them myself. So I think the other thing here is he, he got to see firsthand uh, the organization taking place to combat the false narratives within our community, to com- combat just the, uh, the liberal nonsense that is trying to take a hold in our community, you know. And, and we had several members who ran for office locally in this last election cycle that that the elections were a little little over a week ago now. Um, they all uh, spoke, uh, and uh, on the experiences and what they face. And he got to hear those experiences of of running a campaign. I, I think that's invaluable for. Uh, a teenager to hear those sorts of things and what's you know, especially a teenager that's you know kind of interested in what's going on in the world right uh, i asked him after the meeting what he thought about it he said it seemed pretty important and he had a couple of questions ab- about you know things we talked about in the meeting that came up in the meeting um you know one was one question was about a local issue and the other one was about the 1619 project you know and, and i was happy to uh, one that I you know done research into these things and have have gotten um involved and in, and in, uh, kind of active in this stuff. So I was able to answer his questions and provide real, uh, factual information about them. Uh, I think this is where it starts. Um, friends, are our next generation. From what I'm hearing, seeing, reading, the the next generation is coming up conservative. They see the silliness of what's going on now. They see how just ridiculous this all is. the the lack of common sense, the lack of uh, anything truthful. You know, I think we've seen a lot of uh, of those that have liberal parents, and they're breaking free from that ideology as well turning toward good constitutional principles despite the headwinds they are facing you know on two fronts both at home and in school truth is light and all it takes is the tiniest of glimmers of light to get someone moving in the darkness toward it and out into the total light friends our mission now is to hold the line until this next generation comes of voting age and mass Our mission is to train up this generation in truth before they get to voting age and help them see that freedom and liberty are the path to happiness and prosperity for all. Most of all, we have to show them what it means to stand up and face adversity head-on, to have a backbone and not back down from our principles. They are watching. Let's show them how to preserve our republic, so when it comes time to hand the baton to them, they know how to take and run with it. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I'd also be grateful if you subscribe to and left a positive review of my show, should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on parlor. I am at living with liberty. I am also on Miwi to search for living with liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.